0: To media roots radio this is Robbie Martin
1: and this is Abby Martin
0: thanks for joining us everybody damn it's been a long time since we did an episode like this you've been really busy uh, with your new film Abby you want to tell yeah. people a little bit about that since it's already finished and you just did your screening
1: yeah we just had a big premiere downtown LA which was really incredible got a lot of amazing feedback from the Palestinian community um, and it's going to be out online in about two weeks. We're trying to tighten some things up with feedback um, that we got from the screen. So we're just going to tighten it a little bit up and then release it online within the next couple weeks. So everyone stay tuned for that. It's GazaFightsForFreedom.com. You can check out and uh, sign up for notifications and updates on when you can see it. We're also trying to put together screenings across the country. Obviously we can't really fly all over the place without um, you know, financial support, but we're more than happy to Skype in and to pass the link along for people who wanna organize those. As you know, it's very, very intensive work. We were working with a full team for two months straight, you know, 12 hour days in this office. And so yeah, I had to put everything else aside, including Empire Files episodes and Media Roots Radio um, to try to get this done. And the information is so urgent that we really do feel the need to put it out as quickly as possible because the Great March is still going on over a year later and people are continuing to die um, at the hands of Israeli snipers at the fence. So it's a really pressing issue. And the film just documents just incontrovertible war crimes and atrocities committed by the Israeli government um, and just egregious violations of international law So that's what the film documents, and we hope that it pushes the needle forward for accountability on an international stage.
0: Yeah, and I I think I'm confident that it absolutely will do that because no one's made anything like this yet. Um, The Great March of Return is kind of like a blip. It was covered in the mainstream media a little bit, and people just completely forgot about it. So, yeah, I'm really excited to see it. Two weeks, that's not very far away, so... Yeah, everybody definitely check that out. It's going to be game changing for sure.
1: Um, you did an episode about a think tank that's kind of working with Trump's policy on Iran. Yeah. In the meantime.
0: Um, yeah, I interviewed Eli Clifton from Low Blog about the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, neocon think tank out of D.C. Yeah. and how they are essentially creating all the blueprints for Trump's Iran policy similar to how PNAC and PNAC people were creating the blueprints to the Bush foreign policy in his administration. And that's that's very clear that that's happening now. Um, And it's very dangerous. And we should revisit that um, in the second half of the episode when we get into the Iran stuff, because that's really heating up. Basically, I think we're in a more dangerous and precarious spot with Iran right now than we ever have been in my lifetime, um, as far as the Build up towards war, so we definitely need to to discuss that. But let's get into other headlines and stuff that have been, you know, that have happened since we lasted an episode.
1: Sure, yeah, let's do it. Um, one of the headlines that has grabbed me recently um, comes out of Birmingham, Alabama. A 27-year-old woman named Marsha Jones, who was recently indicted by Jefferson County Grand Jury on manslaughter charges. Why was she indicted on manslaughter charges? Because She got into an argument with a man who ended up shooting her in the stomach or something that killed her unborn baby girl, Um, and the baby died. So she was a shooting victim, but because police and I guess the jury concluded that she started the argument or continued the argument endangering her baby, that she was ultimately responsible for the shooting death of her unborn child. Um, Absolutely unbelievable. I, I actually have never heard of a case like this that someone you know, is potentially going to jail for someone shooting them and killing the, the fetus of their child, five month old fetus. So just again, institutionalized racism all across the country. I can't imagine this happening you know, to an affluent white person being shot by someone for simply engaging in an argument with them. The police, lieutenant, Danny Reed. Who is justifying this said, "Let's not lose sight that the unborn baby is the victim here. She had no choice in being brought unnecessarily into a fight, where she was relying on her mother for protection." Uh, just a really twisted sense of justice here. It, it was just one of those stories that just makes you be like, "Wait, what?" You know, like I read the headline, I was like, "Wait, oh, am I God. reading this correctly?"
0: Um, I mean, so that's only that's in Alabama. Of Alabama.
1: I would like to think this right.
0: is only in Alabama, but man, I, I feel like this is actually something that's probably, I would assume, has happened before in other right. other places around the country. Um, but shocking that this
1: 2019... And, and what's even crazier about this is the person who shot this woman was dismissed. The charges were dropped against them. It's not even like they're both going yeah. you know, to jail for this. It was like just the victim of the crime is now being charged for manslaughter. I just can't fathom it. I really can't fathom it.
0: No, I can't either. I mean, it's definitely like a punish, a punitive style sentencing done to make an example out of her. Yeah, it's just not believable. I mean, they would need to release like video proof saying that she was the one who was responsible for what happened. Yeah. And without that, it's completely fucking unbelievable, obviously. So.
1: Yeah. One other headline that just came out is a follow-up on the Leaving Neverland analysis that we did about Michael Jackson being a serial child rapist and pedophile is that his private doctor that was also sent to prison for two years um, for... I, I forget what he was actually charged with. I think I mean, it was he either was the one manslaughter who found Michael or, or
0: third-degree murder or second-degree murder or something.
1: Yeah, no, he he was convicted of involuntary manslaughter. You're absolutely right. Uh, okay. And his name... Is Conrad Murray. He was his doctor. He said that he came in and found him, of course, unconscious. Let's just say really quickly that the
0: drugs, just so people remember, the drugs that Michael Jackson was getting was a drug that puts you like fully under an anesthetic state called propofol. It was like mm-hmm. something that only an anesthesiologist would have access to, like, not even a normal doctor to prescribe you medication would have access to this. So, this doctor was basically like a crooked doctor. In L.A., who was willing to give like celebrities like anesthesia for no real reason?
1: But what's amazing is that he's come out and now has said that he totally believes leaving Neverland and believes the kids, uh, the full-grown adults, of course, now that say that they were raped repeatedly by Michael Jackson. He says that he completely believes Wade Robson and James Safechuck, and that he just uh, he just did some tell-all interview about about it. Did he have any new details to reveal? It wasn't really, like, explosive in that sense. It's just another person coming out and lending their voice and credibility who, who was very close to Michael Jackson. And, and what's interesting, too, is that he claims that in the last days of Michael Jackson's life, he explained how he was raped and sexually abused by other doctors. So I don't know what that's about. Michael uh, Jackson maybe just told him. him that? Yeah. Yeah. Bizarre. Mm. Yeah. Huh. I mean, I'm bringing this up because it was just the 10-year anniversary of his death. Yeah. Um, a couple days ago. So you're seeing not really any news come out of it. Of course, all of these trolls and the operations employed by the Jackson estate has kind of squashed the story to a degree. It uh, has. I thought it was going to be much more explosive. I thought it was going to be much bigger. And in fact, it has not been. I mean, at first it
0: seemed like it was like a game changer. I mean, like Oprah got involved. Yeah. It had the full push of the mainstream media. And then you're right. It seemed like, a couple media outlets like the Daily Mail and some of these UK media outlets were much more interested in debunking and poking holes in the documentary itself after the fact. like Once that thing came out where the train station wasn't built yet, when James Safechuck claimed he was molested there, they like tried to use that to discount his entire story. They also tried to poke holes in Wade Robson's story about uh, his parents leaving him there to go to the Grand Canyon. Um, because apparently he went to the Grand Canyon with them. So they're like acting like that. those two things completely dismantle the whole, the entirety of it. But they obviously don't. If you watch the documentary and you know all those, that information, I mean, most, the majority of it definitely holds up. Most of the things from the documentary are still very devastating, minus a few maybe mi- like misremembered facts, you know, that
1: the UK media is acting like are completely debunked the whole thing. Um, anyone who's been the victim of a trauma, sexual assault, or abuse like that, like you never forget what happened to you. It's kind of like um, Blase Ford and Kavanaugh. Yeah. It's like, it's like, yeah, she might have gotten like specific facts about like the day and the time wrong, but like she didn't forget the fact that Kavanaugh pinned her down and tried to rape her. You never no. forget that. So no, it just, I mean... it was just always really disingenuous to me, and just always seemed really stupid that people were like, oh, like. That means that they're lying for money. It's like what money though? They still have to convince a jury. It's traumatic. I mean, it's embarrassing. Who?
0: Nobody. It's just like for most people who go into these things, like shame is a big part of like the processing for it. So why? I I don't know. Unless you believe that there are all these people out there with a sick desire to become famous for claiming they were sexually abused. That's basically what people are saying. Because yeah, you're right. No one's getting paid that's one thing that the Jackson family estate has tried to level against and that he's doing this all for money. And he did level like a huge lawsuit, like a billion dollars, but this actually will probably hurt his career in the music industry. Like most people in the music industry still have this bizarre loyalty towards Michael Jackson. I don't think most people in the music industry have been completely like convinced by this documentary. I mean, that that would be my assumption that it's going to take even more to decondition those people. They were too close to it. So, Absolutely. so why, how would this help him in the music industry?
1: Totally. People should check out. We did an extensive podcast about this, about two and a half hours. It's a really incredible podcast, and we also put it up on YouTube. Um, be sure to subscribe to Media Roots on YouTube, and we put up little clips from our podcast there. But check it out. I mean, I think people would really enjoy it if they kind of feel alone on this or don't really know much about it because we yeah. really dig through not only the documentary but, like, a ton of other material because we were kind of obsessed with it for a while, but... <laughs> well, I wanted
0: to mention one more thing about it, which is that if you see this guy going around, he's, an, he's one of the only American journalists who's trying to debunk it. Look into him specifically and what his beat is. Who is it? I, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but you'll see him pop up on a lot of uh, media shows about it, trying to debunk the documentary. And one of his main things that he's... One of his main beats has also been trying to prove that Jerry Sandusky is innocent. Wow and he and he's one of those guys that keeps going back to this like idea that well, if the victims were like still hanging out with them and being friendly with them while they were claiming they were being abused for like years later, then something then that's then something's like false about their abuse story, so he's saying that about all Sandusky's victims since a lot of them would what? still like have relationships with him years after the abuse that they were all lying and conspiring against him or something so I mean just wow. that aside total. Just, uh, I mean, so it's hard to trust, you know, even if a lot of what that guy is pulling out sounds valid, look into that guy specifically. I wish I knew his name.
1: That's truly surreal. I can't imagine anyone coming to the defense of Sandusky. Yeah. Bizarre. Well, there was just a photo circulating of um, a dad with his kid that drowned in the Rio Grande. Really devastating photo. You know, this this is a result of Trump's policies. I mean, Trump has... Um, enacted pretty draconian additions to Obama's already draconian immigration policy. Um, You know, Obama was known as the deporter-in-chief. He deported three million people. The difference is that Trump has escalated this to the point where family separations is actually a feature, not a bug, of the immigration policy. And he has also blanketly denied all asylum um, seeking, I don't know when that happened, but that is absolutely what is going on now. And so the man who who drowned with his son, that horrific photo, they were actually trying to get in through a port of entry as asylum seekers, and they were denied, and they were trying to go around um, to get through another spot. Yeah. Um, and so they died, and you know, and it's just really, really devastating. I mean, unfortunately, it's being kind of cynically used by the Democrats to. Pretend like they, you know, didn't have also a very inhumane border yeah. policy and well, are CNN not good on immigration.
0: MSNBC, too. It's like the it's not just like the Democratic Party. It's like the mainstream media, like Don Lemon, you know, like cried on TV while like showing the picture and stuff. So it's mm-hmm. it's it's it is disingenuous in the sense that I don't remember CNN and MSNBC showing video of the same stuff you used to show on the empire files episodes and uh, of how border patrol just goes over and 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 pours all the water out that people leave on these little life-saving stations around the border like that how the border right. patrol just goes and destroys food and water supplies that people leave out so that people in the desert could actually survive and not die of thirst that's a pretty shocking footage i mean anybody i think even like republicans watching that would be like there it would feel maybe a twinge I would hope from watching footage like that. Cause it's, it's truly evil. <laughs> like, but, um, but yeah, I mean, continue on with what you're saying. Cause I, I do agree yeah, no, that the it, media is cynical, but I mean, it's definitely obviously horrifying and devastating.
1: Yeah. And I think the number is at least six children now have actually died in custody. Um, that is a really, really horrifying statistic. Um, I mean, that is not a joke. That is not something that was actually going on under Obama. Um, yeah, there was very inhumane mass deportation policies. Don't get me wrong. I mean, Operation Streamline was in place from the Bush administration. But this is, this is something that is another level of inhumanity. Um, you have basically like Border Patrol laughing about um, the suffering of these children. Stephen Miller mocks them. It's just a shift in not just tone and rhetoric, but it's a a complete shift in policy that is absolutely horrifying and criminal. The family separation thing, as I mentioned, um, yes, that was happening to a certain extent under Obama, but this is absolutely happening routinely now. So the effect of that has been pretty devastating. As we know, know, 2,000 children separated in just a couple months. I think this year or last year. I mean, that, that's how many children are being separated on, on a monthly basis. And you know, are those children reunited? We don't know. But the children who are kept in these detention facilities, experts in the Holocaust, experts in the internment camps, have said pretty openly that these are concentration camps. The kids are left basically with no ability to have like proper hygiene, and they're sleeping on these these floors covered in aluminum blankets. There are several instances where kids have to take care of other children. And of course, multiple kids have died um, from preventative illnesses. So this is just absolutely disgusting. It really is. Um, of course, I don't believe any of the Democrats with their cynical calls for you know re- retracting this policy because we know that they ultimately believe in dehumanizing border policies as well. As you mentioned, the the no more deaths. I mean, this is this is a group that we went out with during the Obama administration and saw the effects of their border policy, which is that migrants cross death-defying routes and often die trying to cross to get in, and they're funneled out in the open deserts on purpose as a death-by-deterrent policy. And this guy from No More Deaths actually was charged. He was convicted on a felony charge in Arizona. His name was Scott Warren, and he was facing up to 20 years in prison for literally doing just that, Yeah, Um, providing water and like food for crossing migrants. I mean, that that to me, it's like you are saving a life, you know, and people are now being prosecuted for saving lives Um, like that other woman. I think her name was Priya, this woman who was like a boat captain who saved up to a thousand migrants lives who were drowning in the Mediterranean. All of these capsized boats from Libya, you know, countries that have been completely upended by U.S. foreign policy. This woman was saving lives and she's getting charged. With a felony and facing like 20 years in prison as well, too. So this is like a constant that we're seeing all across the world to penalize and criminalize life-saving measures to help migrants and refugees, the people who are the most vulnerable sectors of our population. And this guy, luckily, it was the jury who refused to convict this guy. It was um, ended in a a jury that couldn't decide. So now it's going to be retried. So eight jurors... Thought this guy was not guilty. Four of them thought he was. Four jurors uh, actually thought that he could go to jail. Well, for I wonder leaving what the actual, I wonder if
0: what those jur- jurors would say about why. Like, I wonder if it was like irrefutable that he actually broke some, committed some felony based on the mm-hmm. evidence. And that I, I'm just wondering if some of the jurors were like, were not wanting to give him a guilty verdict because they thought that the law itself was like bullshit. You know, kind of similar to how right. someone's convicted or like charged with a nonviolent drug offense. If I was a juror sitting on something like that, I even if they knew that 100% that they did what they're saying they did, I would still say they're not guilty.
1: Right, on the premise of the law being unjust. Yeah, so I'm wondering, unjust. I'm just wondering how the jurors broke that down. That would be interesting to find out. And another difference with the Trump administration is the emboldening of these gangs. Oh, the like Minutemen and stuff. No, you're right. I mean, that giant roundup with with, with all those kids.
0: I mean, that video was really disturbing. I mean, he has a better skill at otherizing these people than like any other racist politicians do. If you look at like Nigel Farage and even these other politicians, they just seem like they're espousing a lot of generic racist anti-immigrant talking points. What Trump is able to do is able to just like tap right
1: into that reptile brain, like, otherizing and just like like make it go nuclear. Their video is insane. I mean, they're filming themselves acting like they're heroes. There's like dozens of just families and children taking their orders in the dark. And the guy actually says like, too bad we can't shoot them. It'd be a lot easier. This is what they think. They think that these people are like vermin and they just need to be expunged from the face of the earth. I mean, and then also
0: the most recent thing is Trump was threatening to round up, do like a Night of the Long Knives style, like giant roundup of illegal immigrants, like in the same night. And then he backed off on that and said he's going to delay it.
1: Right. He said he was going to give Congress more time to alter the asylum law. And it's like, okay, dude. Yeah.
0: So he's, it's just like he's doing these... A lot of what Trump seems to do is like make really extreme gestures and then pull them back. So it's hard to tell at what times is he actually serious about doing these things? Like, will he just do that roundup eventually or will he just not do it at all? Kind of like how the wall was actually like fake, that he sort of like caved on that. You know, it's. Yeah, good point. And and no. It's confusing.
1: Yeah, to keep people on their toes, but also make it seem like he's not doing the worst things that he promised while at the same exactly. time doing horrible things. That's the thing. I
0: think that that's part of it. He puts out an extreme idea and then does something less extreme, Right. maybe, right. slightly less. And also
1: another point is that it doesn't even matter if Trump officially does the roundups because people, again, are emboldened by his rhetoric enough to do them themselves, like all the people oh, calling that's exactly ICE, right. like all of these institutions that are now like ratting out undocumented people working at their own franchises and stuff. I mean, that's something that Trump doesn't have to direct.
0: Absolutely. And if Trump wanted to, I mean, he could make, he could try to like make this like sort of universally populist. If he was smart, he could be like, we're only going to go after like major companies that are hiring illegal workers. That's not what he's doing. He's just going for straight right wing red meat. Yeah, Just right. Just like right wing reptile Because
1: Trump Inc. or whatever the hell his company is, they hire undocumented immigrants. I mean, of course. People have they done do. multiple all of his resorts do obviously. About, yeah, of course.
0: Are you telling me the maid staff at his, all right. of their, his hotels are not, are all <laughs> right. documented immigrants? Yeah, right. Like, I feel like that even came out during the election that that was obviously not true and there was like proof of that. I, I, yeah, I can't remember right. the exact story. But it doesn't but matter. Clearly not the case. Yeah, it doesn't matter. None of this, none of the actual. Material facts matter.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's just all a partisan war, man. It's, it's yeah. just an information war. And back to your point about Don Lemon's crocodile tears. I mean, come on. It's like how many bombs made by Lockheed Martin and Boeing like kill kids that, you know, I could show you a million photos of kids' bodies strewn around the Middle East from like our foreign policy on a daily basis. That's the thing about photos like this and this kind of concocted manufactured outrage. We know that these people don't give a shit. It's totally selective, yeah.
0: I mean, it kind of reminds me of how outraged the media got over the Muslim man and the airport protests they were covering. Like, they would have never done that for, like, Guantanamo or something like in the past. They didn't—it it just is disingenuous how they're latching onto these issues now that Trump is in office. And we just have to remember that. It doesn't mean the issues themselves aren't important. The Muslim man is real. This is—what we're talking about now is real— but the way the media covers it is not real.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, the and, mainstream media. And we'll get into the the debates on the next episode, Robbie. But, my God, I mean, it's so clear now that all of this is just, you know, just completely adopting the most— pro- who can be the most progressive, right? Who can denounce Trump the most? Who can sound like Bernie Sanders the most but not be, like, full socialist? I mean, it's just so— So telling where we are at as a society that all of these people are bending over backwards to be like the most palatable to progressives. I've never seen that before.
0: Well, yeah. And not just that, Abby, but also the way the debate moderators were trying to debate them into taking like embarrassingly too progressive positions. Right. would Would you grant, would you allow like anybody to illegally cross the border with like no penalty? That's a total trap question. Right. Or even the giving the free health care to illegal immigrants. It's like, well, actually, Trump in one of the debates said he wouldn't let anyone die on the streets. So technically speaking, he believes the same thing Bernie Sanders does. And and he said the same thing in the debates, because that means that he wouldn't let an illegal immigrant die. He would have to give him free health care.
1: Weird. A lot of kids have died under his watch in these little camps. Yeah. Hmm.
0: I mean, one of the things that didn't come up in the debates, and we're not going to talk about the debates in this episode, but one of the most interesting glaring omissions to me, Abby, was that the lack of Russiagate talk. Yeah. Only the candidates themselves brought up Russiagate points. And I don't know why that is, especially because this is MSNBC running the debate, like one of the main proponents of this narrative. I mean, let's go into just some other things that have been happening in the news. I mean, like, I guess one of the newest things with Russiagate Robert Mueller is going to testify in front of the House. So I guess we'll get clarification on if he wants impeachment or not. Because everyone was so sure that his weird, vague speech or press conference meant that he wanted impeachment. When I say press conference, he actually took no questions at all. But our good old friend, Victoria Newland, has actually been caught up again in the whole Russiagate scandal. Um, Judicial Watch obtained leaked emails uh, between her and people basically referring to the Chris Steele memo, the Steele dossier. And just looking back at some of the recent things that happened to her, uh, she was actually caught in a hearing. You can go watch this clip on C-SPAN, basically lying, contradicting her own words within like a two minute time span about her relationship with Chris Steele while at the State Department. And it turns out that she was actually working with Chris Steele on something completely unrelated to the Trump dossier, which was Ukraine, uh, that Chris Steele was actually advising the State Department on Ukraine during 2014, during like the peak of that incident. And she acts like that's not a big deal because they were getting hundreds of other sources at the same time. This guy that made this dossier, that I guess was the source of this investigation, was also working with Victoria Newland in the State Department on Ukraine policy. Uh, when you were still at RT, Abby. So that's just a bizarre piece of information. And then also it came out two months ago that Victoria Nuland tried to speak in Russia uh, at a a think tank conference and she was denied a visa. They would not allow her entry into the country. Wow. Yeah. So she's basically banned from Russia now for at least doing any paid work there. So maybe she could still travel there, but her visa was denied. I mean, what is she doing right now? Like, what? Well, this is the interesting thing, Abby. She was was the CEO, the head of a neoliberal neocon think tank out of DC called the CNAS that had Robert Kagan, Eric Edelman, um, Julie Smith from the State Department, had all these people that were sort of in the Obama administration who were more hawkish neocon. They put out a bunch of think tank papers. She became the CEO sometime around mid 2017 and then as soon as the democratic primary started to kick in and candidates started to announce she quickly stepped down from her role as ceo and mysteriously like took another job and no one knew what it was so my theory was that she was actually an advisor for one of the mainstream democratic candidates i would probably guess joe biden right out of all of them probably joe biden Um, we don't
1: know yet we just, can't no, have no him, idea. Right?
0: Yeah. I've asked around. Nobody actually knows or is mm-hmm. willing to say where she is now. But to step down from a position that prestigious so that quickly recent? is very yeah. unusual. That's likely what she's doing. Or maybe she's
1: doing something even
0: more nefarious. Who knows? Yeah.
1: <laughs> My God. Remind people maybe who Victoria Nuland Nuland is. Maybe she's secretly working in the Trump administration. <laughs> Remind people who she is again or who she was under Obama.
0: Victoria Newland is the wife of Robert Kagan. Uh, Victoria Newland used to be in charge of like the NATO policy in the United States government during the Clinton administration. She worked under Dick Cheney during the Bush administration. And then under the Obama administration, she was the assistant secretary of state for Eurasian affairs, uh, working under Hillary Clinton and continued on in that position after Hillary left secretary of state. So Victoria Nuland was sort of like wholly responsible for the State Department's policy on Ukraine in Eastern Europe during the Obama administration you know, being the wife of one of the most notorious PNAC neocons makes that whole thing very interesting. And that's basically a large part of what my documentary A Very Heavy Agenda is about. So check that out.
1: (laughs) Sweet. Yeah, that's fascinating. Fuck the EU.
0: Yeah, fuck the EU, dude. So have you heard about this recent story that really went under the radar? But to me, it was actually one of the craziest stories that come out in the last month is that an FBI agent was caught posting on 4chan under an account trying to blame the synagogue mass shooting on the Kremlin or the FSB. And what's interesting is this was an FBI agent who was trying to like comb the internet for stuff about the synagogue shooting, and he was reporting documents, postings from 4chan to his superiors, But what he accidentally did was he did not log out of his own account. So what happened was in these filings, this FBI agent accidentally revealed that he was logged into 4chan in his own account. And the only reason this is known to the public and we can prove it is because these court filings have come out. And on the 8chan printouts, it says under these different postings, the name you... Which means when you're logged into 4chan and you're signed in, it says you. So we could immediately identify what postings are his. And the craziest part about it is he's talking as if he's like a conspiracy guy. And he's like, yeah, man, I can understand how everybody here is like totally this is either the Mossad or the CIA or the FBI. But let me tell you, here's like evidence why I think it's like the Kremlin or the FSB. This is an FBI agent infiltrating conspiracy culture on 4chan wall and active shooting was like just happening. Um, saying that he understands why people think it's the Mossad, but it's not, it's actually Russia. Same I'll, I'll here, quote yeah. you exactly what he said from one of his posts. I'd blame Mossad, the CIA and FBI too, but this time I'm not so sure. <laughs> we know all three of them can meme because we are shilled all day long by them. He chose a crappy pistol. Anyone would have planned a little more thoroughly. If BT is a hero, as him, uh, as, as BT is a hero to him, as he describes, he would have learned from his mistakes, or at a minimum made an effort to emulate him and do the same. To walk in there completely unprepared with a single pistol sends off even more red flags. This is very unusual. This is not the typical parenthesis 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 conspiracy close parenthesis parenthesis oh. parenthesis. I am worried. I don't My believe this God. is the end of this. So he's basically trying to pretend he's like an anti-Semitic eight channer in this posting. Fascinating, right?
1: I mean, this just shows you the extent, I think, of you know, FBI infiltration, just different sock totally. puppet infiltration on these threads and forums that are just feeding into different meme culture and conspiracies. Was he part of like an FBI A-Chan infiltration team? Right. Maybe his job was only
0: to watch 8 chan because we know goddamn well that the FBI has to have teams of people at least monitoring those yeah, forums. Yeah, of course. But was his job also to post in there? Well,
1: what's funny <laughs> like, too like, is like question. you would think that the FBI would be directed to like infiltrate white supremacists and neo-Nazi circles on 8 chan and 4chan and instead he's just like agitating against Russia. <laughs> it's like not even yeah. trying to... Get intel about like that community that actually does pose yeah. a danger and was responsible for the synagogue. Treatment. The red
0: herring was the was like the anti semitism to
1: get, for the end goal of spreading like
0: Russia conspiracy shit.
1: That's fascinating. Really? Have there been any official statements about this from the police department or from the FBI?
0: That's a great question. I have not seen any official statements. From what I saw, the story was sort of like picked up on by like tech blogger, people who are like, these court filings look weird. Wait a second. Is this FBI agent in here logged in as himself? Like, I don't, I didn't see any comment uh, from any official law enforcement sources. So this, this story came in on June 17th. So it's relatively new.
1: Yeah. I mean, through the NSA leaks from Snowden's archive, which by the way, the intercept officially shut down like the archive. Um, and that's why the entire organization started in the first place. Barrett Brown has a lot to say about this. You can check out his live streams about it. You know, they just released another document outlining something that the, from the Snowden Archives a couple weeks ago. It's like there's still material that needs to be combed through and exposed. So I, I just find that highly problematic. Um, Barrett Brown released all of the email threads with Laura Poitras up in arms. Man, I mean, what do you think about that?
0: I mean, I think it's completely not surprising. We have learned over time that the whole thing behind Pierre Omidyar just swooping in there and offering tons of money to all these you know, adversarial journalists when the Snowden thing came along is very odd. I have to admit that I've even become very skeptical of the, just the Snowden narrative over time. I, I won't say any really more on that i'm not like i haven't gone like full naomi wolf on that but i'm i mean i do have a lot of questions that i didn't have before on it so i'm not sure all i know is the end result of all the snowden leaks have been to make everybody more paranoid that they're being watched and i do not feel that the intercept or the intercept staff even did a adequate job of Preparing us for how to deal with that, not just on a psychological level, but even just on a technological level. I consider myself a pretty smart person with computers, and honestly, the information and like advice that Intercept would give out to try to get people to be more private and encrypted was very hard to follow for the general public. And I and I and I think they did a very poor job on that. So the fact that the Snowden archive is closing in Omidyar, you know, they're not going to give that out to anyone. I, I it's just more bullshit and it's sad.
1: Barrett got privy to this because Laura was in the inner workings, obviously working on the Snowden cash. And then she just got like an email yeah. from higher ups just being like, all right, we're shutting it down. And everyone was like, what are totally. you talking about? You didn't consult with us about this? Like what?
0: The, the whole thing is really strange. I, I, I have a lot of questions about a lot of yeah. It. And it's, and
1: it was like 5% of their operating budget. I mean, it was, it was completely inexpensive um, the staff was very small. There's no reason why they had to do that. And, you know, looking back on it, I know Snowden openly said that he wanted to only work with journalists who would comb through and, like, pull stories that could be verified and wanted to protect information that was sensitive. But, like, it is just very surreal that we, here we have Julian Assange being, you know, prosecuted to the full extent under the Espionage Act, potentially will face the death penalty, if not life in prison, for what he's done as a publisher on one hand, and then on the other hand, it's like I would have much rather had the Snowden leaks go, to the, go through WikiLeaks.
0: It is weird to say the least. And yeah, at least if WikiLeaks had leaked all that stuff at once, it would have leveled the playing field for everybody and democratized the information. Would have given everybody the same starting point to cover the information into research. And instead of giving exclusive access, not just to The Intercept... you have to remember also Snowden and Greenwald also like were giving exclusive access to certain aspects of the documents to like NBC and different mainstream media outlets. Like that was part of their rollout for it. So back then I would defend it saying, well, they're just trying to get the most media attention possible by dripping, you know, this information out slowly and getting the most impact. But now looking back on it, like I, I just honestly think it's weird in general that the mainstream media was so eager to cover that stuff. And that's all I feel like saying about it for now. Yeah. Totally different subject. Uh, I couldn't figure out a better way to segue (laughs) there. But but more just ridiculous stuff coming out about North Korea right now. A headline came out in the Daily Mirror that just said, quote, it was like on the front page of Drudge, Kim Jong-un executes a general by throwing him in piranha-filled fish tank. Cool, dude. I'm I'm absolutely sure that Kim Jong Un is like the most creative, elaborate serial killer on earth. The shit you see in like James Bond movies, like who (laughs) writes this stuff? (laughs) You know, to follow that up, uh, they that apparently that assassinated cousin of Kim Jong Un from like a year ago was apparently a CIA informant, and this is coming out now in the news. Um, Oh my god! So I don't know if you have you seen this, Abby? Recently, remember that broad daylight assassination? That happened. It was on video. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah it was I like nerve
0: that. gas or something. Mm-hmm. Like it was like a really bizarre, weird uh, execution. Um, but apparently, this guy who's his half brother, not his cousin, was actually a CIA informant.
1: And this is confirmed. Wall by... Street Journal
0: uh, revealed this mm-hmm. in the middle of June. It just says Wall Street Journal cited a quote person knowledgeable about the matter. So Wall Street Journal is very close to the national security state. I would be inclined to believe that if they reported on that. That's very interesting.
1: I mean, everything about North Korea, you can pretty much take with a grain of salt, whether it be the Otto Warmbier scandal, who, you know, they claimed that he was tortured to death. That never added up. Or it could just be any sort of North Korean official who they claim was executed in this salacious, cartoonish way, whether it be execution by firing squad. He's like Rabbit S. Thompson meets Jeffrey Dahmer, being dude. Unleashed and tearing apart people's skin. I've heard everything under the sun when it comes to how North yeah. Korea executes and kills people. Go back to the Olympics when North Korea was trying to unify with South Korea and they had that beautiful ceremony and the whole time we were fearmongering about how North Korea kills people, executes all the officials who you know, just disagree with Kim Jong Un and then this pop star came out and sang for North Korea. She was one of the many people claimed to have been executed by Kim Jong-un's firing squads in the years prior. So you see these people pop up, but because it's such a secluded society and so closed off, like, we can't confirm any of this shit. And that's exactly why they print them, and all these North Korean defectors are paid near a million dollars. And, you know, we justify it by saying that if they give us, like, intel that can be used against the north korean leadership then they will be paid for their intel and so a lot of them just like desperately just give false information and the more salacious the better because that's the the one that's going to grab the most attention and then they're going to be like bolstered on some speaking tour as a famous defector i'm not saying that's the case with everyone but like that's the case with a lot of these people and there is a huge financial incentive that we cannot forget about when you read these absurd stories that can never be verified
0: Exactly, and just an, just as an example of how, uh, of smart I believe Trump actually is when dealing with the media, was when he was being interviewed by George Stephanopoulos about the, this subject of Kim Jong Un came up briefly, and he asked him, he's like, so what do you think about like Kim Jong Un uh executing or like getting rid of like a bunch of the people who helped usher in that first meeting between you and Kim Jong Un? I guess a story came out and I didn't even remember this that a bunch of the people who helped that meeting between Kim Jong-un and Trump on the North Korean side were like executed for like poorly performing. <laughs> wow, there's no one
1: left in the North yeah. Korean government. They've all been killed.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the, so Trump basically used the same kind of rhetoric that, you know, people could argue we're using here, that it's such a close off society. Like we don't we don't know that that happened. Like Trump's like, I don't know that, that actually happened. Like, how do we know that? And George ah. Stephanopoulos is like, cause it was re- reported by like intelligence officials. He's like, no, we don't like, there's no way to like, know that that actually happened. He's like, maybe it happened, but he's like, I don't,
1: I don't know <laughs> if it happened.
0: <laughs> so, I mean, damn. Yeah. I mean, he right. just gets away with any, he's still Teflon. He just gets away with saying
1: anything. Right. I mean, the thing is he's right. You know what I mean? He's yeah. Right. He's
0: right about that. Yeah. But I mean, it's like, I don't, I, just, I don't feel like he would say that about another country that he wants to like be adversarial with. Like if it was Iran, well, he would just not. believe That's anything. So hilarious. About, yeah. That's why it's it was so, funny.
1: Like Tim Heidecker made a good point. He was like, he's willing to sit down with Kim Jong-un, but like not Maduro, you know? Yeah. It's Just like, why?
0: Yeah. I mean, of course. I mean, it's obvious. Yeah, and it's a hella good photo op, too. I mean, just like Kim Jong-un, like look, he's been in, like, movies and stuff. I mean, like, we have, like, f- like caricatures of him. Like, it's, like, very, like, good photo op. Makes sense completely for, like, a has-been celebrity to want to do that with North Korea.
1: Right, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, he's kind of the centerpiece of, like, Hollywood villainry. So it's, like, it yeah. makes sense for Trump to be all jazzed up about it.
0: Yeah, like, if Saddam was still in office, Trump would be just all about fucking Saddam. Right. Or not like making diplomacy with him but just like using him as a prop. Like that right. would be really classic. Like if Trump was a 90s president. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> I guess let's talk a little bit about how Tucker Carlson allegedly was able to talk Trump out of bombing Iran. Abby, did you know that Tucker Carlson saved us from World War 3?
1: I love the story because if this were true, is that cool? Like with people like Dude, Trump either way, if it's true or not is, true,
0: it's scary as fucking weird. I mean, it is
1: absolutely surreal. You know? Well, yeah,
0: it's especially surreal because just like three days before this headline came out saying Tucker Carlson talked Trump out of war, Yar Netanyahu, Netanyahu's son, uh, was hanging out with Tucker Carlson and taking all these photos with him. And the tweet that Yar Netanyahu sent out says, Tucker is a big supporter of Israel. We already have reported, I think on this podcast that Yar Netanyahu was actually a promoter and part of an Israeli style 8chan, 4chan alt-right community that frequently dabbled in neo-Nazi, uh, memes and Semitism. So it's a very bizarre thing. Not surprising though, that like someone who's sort of like the newer generation of Likudnik would be like almost like the alt-right, you know, is Israel's version of the alt-right, Netanyahu's own son. It's strange, um... Because right before this airstrike was being set up by the Trump administration, there were headlines also coming out that saying that Tucker has been regularly talking with Trump and being like one of his de facto foreign policy advisors. Right. So, I mean, this narrative just kind of seems like a fake setup to me. But on the other hand, if it's true, like you're saying, that also shows how fucked up and crazy and dangerous the situation is. If a Fox News host who said Iraqis were primitive monkeys and needed to obey genocide in Iraq from American soldiers who said Iran needs to be annihilated, they're evil on TV. If we're counting on that guy to stop an attack on Iran, we're so fucked. Like, there's just no other way to describe it. So... Either it's a fake narrative that you're trying to put out to make it seem like Trump and Tucker are these doves who are fighting against the deep state still, the same deep state that Trump hired, or it's real and it's really scary. Like I don't, I just don't know how. What else to say about it? What do you think?
1: I mean, the Tucker Carlson thing is just absurd. I don't believe that he talked Trump out of going to war with Iran. I mean, this is this is the same logic that like we should congratulate crazy rabid racists and also congratulate trump himself for like somehow deterring an inevitable strike when if you look at the actual totality of the situation trump is the one who is provoking setting up the most precarious situation that we've ever been in with iran or in recent history rather and then oh, yeah. like setting up the the chess pieces for there to be some inevitable altercation, and then being like, okay, like I, I pulled back, I decided not to strike them yet. It's like, why are we congratulating him? Why are we applauding this? Why are we congratulating Tucker Carlson? Like, all of this is just so disturbing to me. I mean, I want to talk about how crazy Yarn Netanyahu is. Um, he yeah, went please. on a tweet thread recently where he actually said this. He says, Hi, all the idiots that twist, quote, Palestine. He's like, there's no such thing. There is no P in Arabic. Or for oh, their cool. Revolt. And he was like, you So he's Arabs. doing
0: de Souza on the history yes. of Israel.
1: Cool, dude. Yes. Someone who works for um, Mondweiss or something, Rebecca Pierce, was like, there's no J in Hebrew. Do you think that Jews don't exist? Um, It's just completely absurd to even say that Palestine never existed. Obviously, early Zionist propaganda from the settlement process and the initiation of Israel, actually even decades before that, the Zionist movement was a very fringe movement before the Holocaust was able to rally people to go there. But all of their initial literature openly talked about Palestine. They said settlements in Palestine. Um, So it's just disgusting to try to actually race like the land that you are openly ethnically cleansing and colonizing on a daily basis. And to say like Palestine never existed. He also gave one of his first ever television interviews to the blaze recently. Um, and on the television interview, he says, Palestinians danced in the streets and handed out candies to celebrate the nine 11 terrorist attacks. He also says that Donald Trump is a rock star and has rock star popularity in Israel. He says, when 9-11 happened, Israel was in mourning. It was like it happened to us, exactly the same. And he said, and what were Palestinians doing? Celebrating in the streets and handing out candies. It's like, I mean, it's just pretty disturbing that U.S. politicians, including all these progressive morons, these so-called progressive morons who are staunchly allied with Israel, staunch defenders of Israel and saying that Israel you know, is a defender of human rights is the only democracy in the Middle East. And, like, the prime minister's own son is just echoing the most vicious, rabid, right-wing propaganda. Like, this is what's going on. And can you believe that he went on the blaze and talked about 9-11? I mean, I I guess we shouldn't be surprised, but it's just like, wow. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I mean, and and yet Nahu, I mean, he's
0: openly said things like 9-11 was like really helpful for Israeli society. So this is not like for them to evoke 9-11 is just as disingenuous as them evoking the Holocaust when basically murdering Palestinians. So, and, and also, you know, go to Yair Netanyahu's timeline. Most of it's in Hebrew. The guy tweets constantly. If you read his tweets, it's all about leftists. It's all like extremely Islamophobic stuff that would not even fly on like Fox news. I mean, it's like, that's how racist it is. And, he even just talks about how leftists are like deserve violent retaliation because he distorts all these historical examples involving like the foundation of Israel when there were warring militias, like the hardcore um, militia led by Begin. Yeah. Is that his name? Yeah. And then the opposing one that was led by Rabin. And then he's acting like Begin was like a peace, peaceful guy, even though that's the guy who bombed the King David Hotel killing like 90 people like he ordered him one of his militias to bomb an entire hotel full of innocent civilians and like some right. soldiers so i mean yeah th- just, those
1: are liberals to these people
0: yeah they basically revert they they basically like twist history invert it for their own agenda just like a denise de souza style thing
1: this whole israel election too is like pretty emblematic of where the country's at because you know, if you listen to NPR or corporate media or whatever, you keep thinking that there's this feasibility of a two-state solution. That like, oh, the pendulum's going to swing and the left wing's going to take over the Knesset and all that. But in reality, I mean, the fight right now is between the ultra-orthodox right wing and like the secular right wing, and that's what the fight for control and consolidation of the parliament, um, you know, the the Israeli parliament is. And the only reason Netanyahu wasn't able to lock down the majority is because like that's the struggle right now is that they can't agree on the religious nature of the right wing rule. But if you look at the actual like quote unquote left or like the labor party there, they're not even opposing settlement growth in the West Bank. You know, they don't have an unequivocal opposition to the occupation or settlements. So um, it's insulting I was asking
0: the question on Twitter just in general, who was the one in the United States that started using the rhetoric of leftist to describe right. everybody left of center, like Democrats, and anybody. And somebody was like, you know, that sounds like it actually came from Israel because is that's what Israel like mm-hmm. right wing hardliners do is they use leftist as a smear
1: to describe like anybody remotely critical of like the hardline right wing policies. I think that we should take Yar Netanyahu's Words at face value, when he says um, Donald Trump is a rock star in Israel, that is absolutely true.
0: Well, yeah, um, I mean it's it's beyond true. I mean he's such a rock star that he just had a fucking whole town named after him. Do you want to go go into that new stolen sure. land? I mean,
1: yeah, I mean so Israel has a project called the Greater Israel Project. That's what the 1967 land grabs were about. There was an unprovoked um, military assault where they seized um, an inordinate amount of territory in Syria and Lebanon. And of course, that's when they annexed, you know, Gaza and, and whatnot and started occupying Gaza and the West Bank fully. But that's when they took over the Golan Heights and the Golan Heights is Syria. It has been this kind of disputed territory ever since, where it's not internationally recognized as Israel, of course. So of course, what does Trump do? Trump has been the biggest friend and ally to this rogue criminal state. So not only moving the embassy to Jerusalem, but also saying that the Golan Heights is now officially recognized as Israeli territory. And you look at this greater Israel map, and it's like taking over like Saudi Arabia, like all of these countries. They want all of it, you know, that's like the ultimate goal here because that's what they think their biblical deed is. So, yeah, I mean, this town, I heard that it might have been like mostly a photo op, but it's so surreal to see this giant... Oh, it's way much more than that. This giant, giant uh, sign that says, you know, Trump Heights.
0: Yeah. With like Hebrew, With Hebrew underneath. Uh, yeah, it's like a full-blown... Like when I saw it, I was like, oh, they're opening Netanyahu is unveiling a commercial real estate venture that's just like a new small settlement. But when you think about it, since this is disputed land, like stolen land, basically, they are, even if they put like a small uh, development on it, it's basically creating like a new town. So it's this is not just like some kind of commercial real estate development. This is literally naming like a new settlement town after Donald Trump. I mean, that's, yeah. that's not, that's not an exaggeration. Like I, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, it's just like a neighborhood. That's crazy. No, it's an actual town slash settlement with a sign like straight out of like something from the 1950s. I mean, it look it's really scary, you know, and this is coming off the heels of Netanyahu erecting a giant building size billboard, like canvas billboard showing him holding hands with Trump. And Abby, I don't know if you've heard this. Going back to Yar Netanyahu really quick, he's actually officially now working with the Trump twenty twenty reelection campaign. Him and Kimberly Guilfoyle, Donald Trump Jr.'s uh, new girlfriend, are working on like together on a project for the twenty twenty reelection campaign. Wait, who is Yar? Yeah. This has already been what? reported, yeah.
1: But that's legal, right? That that's legal for the Prime Minister of Israel's son. Oh yeah, it's fine. To be totally, openly totally working legal. on a U.S. presidential campaign. Interesting. That's mm. yeah, it's totally fine, dude. The sign is so garish and gaudy and god-awful. Yeah. This is so insane. And it didn't even look like anything was happening behind it. It just looked like a giant sign erected in the middle of the desert.
0: <laughs> I know. that It was really, really creepy. The photo has to be seen to be believed. It's cartoonish. This is the most Israel-friendly administration that I've ever seen. I mean, it, it seems more in bed with Israel than even the Bush administration was. Of it's course. it's oh unprecedented. God, yeah. I mean, right. and you have what was this recent thing you mentioned on the Joe Rogan show that Kushner is actually saying that we're going to like bus? Like, what was what was
1: actually the program? Oh yeah, he was so John, so Jared Kushner. Remember how he kept saying Jared Kushner is going to like initiate the peace plan between Palestinians and Israelis? So yeah, yeah. What he did, he actually proposed the the prosperity plan for Palestinians and the whole thing makes it seem like, of course, Palestinians are the ones deterring peace. That's not surprising. But then the whole thing is basically about economic prosperity. How is that going to be brought about? We're going to let corporations give you jobs. And so we need to have corporations get a stake in Gaza and the West Bank so then they can employ Palestinians. As if that's the crux of the problem, just throwing money and exploiting occupation. It's absolutely stunning because it doesn't address any core issues. It doesn't address the root of anything, the politics, the rights that have been, you know, suspended for all of these people, like acting like they're just animals. And they're like, oh, well, they can't get their shit together. So if we just bus in like fast food corporations and get them, you know, in minimum wage jobs, that's going to solve the problem. And then they're going to be like, have agency to change and make their lives better. Um, and a lot of Palestinians have jobs already. <laughs> Like that's not what they need. They need justice, and they need rights, um, and they need an end to the occupation. So the fact that that language is not at all being addressed in this "quote-unquote" plan is pretty telling, and it just shows you that they have no idea, you know, how to initiate anything that doesn't involve just like more corporate profiteering.
0: Of course, and the Trump administration has amped that up to a degree never seen before. I mean, just look at the defense contractors alone. He sits in front of. You know Mohammed bin Salman with flashcards showing him how many jobs and showing the press how many jobs are going to be created for every like Raytheon weapon shipment and every Lockheed Martin. I mean it's fucking over the top. So yeah, this 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 should be expected. And Dan Senor from the Foreign Policy Initiative, if you remember that name from a very heavy agenda, he's heavily involved in uh, Silicon Valley like tech style companies in Israel. And I'm sure on some level he's been working with Jared Kushner uh during Trump's administration. I mean, I would disgusting. I would be willing to bet money on that.
1: Absolutely disgusting.
0: So you've you've seen Chernobyl Abbey. I've only seen like a handful of uh, maybe like ten minutes total of it, but it just seems like it's just more kind of random anti-Russian propaganda to a certain extent to have this show come out and then have it become extremely popular, where the screenwriter behind the show, if you look at all of his previous credits, they're all rotten on Rotten Tomatoes, and then Chernobyl is 95%. So when did, like, a screen capture, capturing all the other Rotten Tomato scores from every other script the writer wrote, and it was all Rotten scores, like going back to, like, the late 90s or something. So when you write anti-Russian propaganda, the critics... Fucking can give you 95% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes.
1: Oh my god, it's the most absurd depiction of Russia. There's so much anti-Russian propaganda and like xenophobia that's sprinkled throughout every episode that I actually had to stop watching after like episode three. It makes Russians look like these sinister, maniacal, evil overlords. The whole disaster is painted... As if they're unique, right? Like, because they didn't want people to know how bad it was. And really, when you compare that to, obviously, U.S. nuclear tests and dropping of the nuclear bombs, it kind of pales in comparison to that. The way that they depict these Russians makes it sound like they did not care at all about casualties. They did not care about um, the fallout from the radiation. And, like, they all secretly knew how bad it was and they were hiding it. But that's not the craziest part. The craziest part is that they all evoke like communism as specifically the reason it's not just like oh it was government malfeasance and corruption but they really really hammer it in on like the ideology of communism every single time like for example in one scene um this person is just like i was a nuclear engineer and then they like hired a librarian to run this so like i wish that i could be running this but unfortunately like under communism they just pick randomly like like now a librarian is doing this and it's just like what or like a janitor like it i don't like, know like the bus driver is now in charge and everyone's like oh my god do you
0: remember yakov shmirnov the stand up comedian from the 80s yeah it sounds like a joke he would do he's like in soviet russia they hire a librarian to manage nuclear power plants. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that it's like it seems like out of his like stand up comedy routine what you're describing i didn't see those episodes
1: oh my God, there's another scene where they're, where they're flying over and, like, of course, there's, like, some American guy who, like, is the voice of reason or whatever. And he's like, no, this is, like, really bad. We need to stop this now. And the guy who's, like, the, the Russian government minister is just like, he's like, no, you're wrong. And he's like, fly over it. And the guy is just like, no, we'll die. And he's like, I don't care. He's like, fly over it. You get killed. Like, like talking like that, like, we will kill anyone who d- says no, like, you die shoot him, kill him. It's just like, what the fuck is this? And then there's one meeting that's just the most hilarious scene of all. Like, like they're all talking about how are they going to deal with this disaster? And this guy just like taps his cane and he's like, Lenin said that the state like rules all and, that the, and the state comes first. And <laughs> we need to forget about this because the state, like Lenin said this. And I was just like, this is so... Fucking fake. Like, is there any evidence of any of this happening whatsoever? Invoking.
0: Fucking hilarious. I mean, and it brought up the, the, of course, this conversation that, you know, look how much Russia exposed their own people to radiation. And look how irresponsible and horrific their country was. But somebody pulled up a funny graphic. Well, it's not funny. It's actually more horrifying from Mother Jones magazine from December 2017. That says atomic tests during the 1950s probably killed half a million Americans. And it shows total deaths from iodine-131 from 1951 to 1973. And especially from Texas on to the East Coast, uh, especially near like the Great Lakes, the Northeast, uh, from 12,500 to 31,000 potential deaths from nuclear testing just in 20 years. And that's fucking crazy, that is unbelievable and this is all over the country,
1: oh my God
0: um and you know, when we grew up, Abby, we didn't even realize that we were living next to a nuclear research lab that was dumping plutonium into the water supply that's like, oh, okay, pretty much every one of these military bases around the United States that deals with nuclear materials has had issues with radiation or nuclear materials leaking outside of the confines of the actual base or lab. It's kind of a problem everywhere, like more so than nuclear power plants. Actually. Oh, right. Yeah, absolutely. And just another example, this is a very recent story. We don't even know what damage Fukushima is still causing. I mean, I don't even like want to even think about that shit. I mean, it's fucking disturbing as fuck. But uh, on May 28th, only about a month ago, this is reported in the LA Times, the headline is High Radiation Levels Found in Giant Clams Near U.S. Nuclear Dump in Marshall Islands. And it says researchers have found high levels of radiation in giant clams near the Central Pacific Site where the United States entombed waste from nuclear testing almost four decades ago. So imagine this. We built these giant cement tombs in these Marshall Islands 40 years ago, just filled with nuclear waste. And we're supposed to believe that that shit's going to just like stay safe in there. And of course it's going to leak out. That is so insane. In California, we're probably not going to be affected by this. It's all the way in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. It's like in between Papua New Guinea and Hawaii, where this is happening. But this is a U.S. military-owned site. With the Trump administration in power, can't really expect any uh, oversight regulations that are going to explain what's happening here. I guess we'll just never know.
1: Yeah, no, it's astounding that this is happening and that we just kind of forgot about Fukushima and I'm not sure what's going on there in terms of the dumping, you know, hundreds of gallons of irradiated water and that has effects that reverberate throughout the entire world. The Fukushima shit is nuts. All the testing of the U.S. nuclear bombs, the Marshall Islands, the testing on its own soldiers, the blowing up those enormous, like, hydrogen bombs in the water and stuff like that I mean damn shit was oh, so atoll. insane
0: the the ionosphere fears that a uh, nuclear test in the upper atmosphere was going to cause like the ionosphere to catch on right. fire and they still did it that's how they discovered the EMP effects of nuclear weapons unbelievable so yeah a lot of a lot of crazy shit the US government's involved in and you know including which is currently still probably still happening, even though the Trump administration has acted like it's kind of not happening anymore is the, uh, the Venezuelan coup vice magazine or vice uh, news is running a special about uh, what's happening in Venezuela right now, where the headline for it is basically just comes off as total imperialist propaganda. We shouldn't be surprised by it. It just says, look at the wealth of Venezuela abandoned Venezuela doesn't know how to manage their oil. That's only making the people suffer. What a bizarre fucking headline. And is there any commentary in this special by Vice about how who's like
1: who wants to manage the
0: oil <laughs> after a coup? Yeah.
1: Anya parample, who was on the show talking about the embassy takeover from the coup plotters, she just did this excellent expose about Carlos Viccio, the guy who was kind of this unknown dude who was you know, working within the Venezuelan opposition. He he was next to Leopoldo Lopez trying to start the popular will party. Anyway, he's been like side by side trying to foment this radical, violent unrest in the country ever since the coup led by the Bush administration didn't work. Well, she uncovered who this guy really is. And it's fascinating because he's given so many interviews. He poses as like this, you know, wannabe ambassador. But who he really is, he doesn't really... Articulate in these mainstream media interviews, but she read his book, and in his book he brags about how he worked for Exxon as a lawyer for Exxon, um, oh, cool. and he was very heavily invested in the oil companies, and was very upset when Chavez got into power, and subsequently Maduro, and and he you know he felt like the livelihood of him and his friends were taken away, and so they wanted to fight really hard to get that wealth back, and. She's working on trying to get the documents to prove where the $70 million went. But at the end of the day, the coup might have failed legislatively, like they weren't able to take over the government yet. But what they did was take all the money. Um, The Bank of England seizing all the gold from Maduro, all of that money was just cashed right into the bank accounts of these opposition coup plotters. This was a total scam just to steal the money. From the rightful leader of Venezuela and like while their economy is still in free fall because of the sanctions they can't get loans like it's just disgusting I'll, I'll link to this article on the timeline so you guys can see who this guy really is and how he's worked with like offshoots of USAID as a oil lobbyist essentially and just a
0: just a random thing that came out in a that was a buried totally buried part of a Washington Post story Um, about the venezuelan coup plotters it's from the washington post the headline is maduro's ex-spy chief lands in u.s armed with allegations against venezuela and in it this detail comes out it says that the coup plotters were all given code names figuera an afro-venezuelan was the black panther omania was superman and this is the best one mauricio clavar corone the U.S. National Security Council's director for Latin American policy was Comenios, the child eater. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so so the actual coup plotters themselves named someone in the U.S. side of the coup the child eater. The
1: child eater? Yeah. I mean, how is this Very real? Very interesting.
0: How did they get these, these names? Wow. Um, <laughs> In other random news, uh, John Walker Lind, the, the so-called American Taliban, um, was released from prison a couple of years early before his sentence on good behavior. And I find it interesting that most people I've seen reacting to this are like acting like he should still be in jail, even though he's been in prison for almost two whole decades for basically being caught on you know the supposed battlefield, if you can even call it a battlefield, in Afghanistan um, he, he was one of the first people that we know of, and we have photographic evidence of that he was part of the CIA torture program uh, when he was first photographed. do you remember this Abby the one of, some of the first photographs of John Walker that came out were him strapped to a gurney with like a weird crazy like blackout blind like goggles on his face uh, I, vaguely so what is that what is that like what is that picture that picture is a depiction of the CIA torture techniques, or part of them, in the leaked, like the documents that we know of that later came out. That's the type of stuff they would do. They would put like weird sensory deprivation devices on you. You know, they didn't just put a hood over his head. They were doing some weird shit to him. Um, that's like straight up from their torture manuals. So, um, and you know, they would, they tried to conflate him with that he was an Al Qaeda fighter, that he was Taliban, that he knew Bin Laden. Well, there's a lot of conflicting reports of what he did. So the official report of what he did is that he uh, originally they were going to try to charge him with murdering a CIA officer because at this stage in the Afghanistan war invasion, this was before any actual U.S. soldiers were on the ground. So it's a very strange story. So first he was caught by the Northern Alliance apparently fighting as a Taliban fighter in Afghanistan, and he was in a prison. The CIA came to this prison to start interrogating the prisoners while the Northern Alliance held you know, their forces to protect the prison. There was a prison riot and breakout, apparently, by the prisoners. And John Walker Lind apparently managed to escape but got shot in the process. A CIA interrogator died uh, while trying to hold down the prison. So few days later, American reporters were just, like, hanging out around this site of this, like, prison break because it was, like, one of the first stories in the Afghanistan war. So, you know, of course, they're just hungry to cover whatever sensationalist garbage they could. One of them meets John Walker Lynn just ambiently hanging around the area. And they're like, oh, like, who are you? Like, you speak English. So, like, he – and then he tells them that he was, like, a Northern Alliance uh, guy from, uh, I think, like, London – who, like, came to, like, fight with the Northern Alliance. So that was, like, the story he was telling people. And for, for, like, a week, he's just, like, hanging out with, like, American reporters and just, like, chatting them up because he's one of the only guys in the area that can speak English. And then eventually, or somebody identifies him as, like, a guy who used to live in the United States who, like, professed his support for the Taliban. And then the CIA then claims that he was part of the prison break that he was actually leading the uprising in the prison and that he was actually an Al Qaeda fighter who helped kill a CIA agent in this prison break. And that uh, we need to like capture him and basically charge him with all these terroristic crimes. But the thing was he wasn't read his Miranda rights. He asked for a lawyer. They didn't give him one. He was still an American citizen. He never like actually denounced his citizenship technically. So he should have been given his, uh, a lawyer when asked for one, um, they tortured him and then they claimed that he confessed uh, while he was being interrogated over there that he had met with bin Laden and that he was actually a ta- an Al Qaeda fighter. Now, all evidence points to him being basically a really low level associate of the Taliban who was like a chef, like cooking for them. And it was like a like a night guard who would just like guard, like do like patrols. He was very low level if anything, involved with the Taliban. And even so, really the only crime that would have constituted was like aiding and abetting the Taliban, which was like a law passed under the Clinton administration, even though Unical and all these gas companies were like working with the Taliban. You know, it still was like a hypocritical thing to slap him with. He's been charged with everything under the sun. I mean, basically they threw the book at him and made it seem like he was directly instrumental in murdering the CIA agent and then he like knew bin Laden and all this crazy shit.
1: So John Walker Lynn is being released and people are all up in arms about it basically.
0: Yeah. I mean, and even I, you know, people keep telling me to lay off Tulsi Gabbard um, cause I'm going after her too much. But you know, one of the recent things that I saw that just really upset me that she tweeted about was basically saying that we should, she was using John Walker Lynn as an example of why, why is Julian Assange being detained? But basically she was saying, implying that John Walker Lynn should still be in jail. So she was basically arguing with the criminal justice system, which is already really corrupt in the first place, that put him in jail for that long, almost 20 years through the book at him. Um, She's saying that he should still be in jail. So I just thought that was, you know, not surprising from her, but just another example of why I don't think she's a strong anti-war person. And another anti-war news, a sad news, um, a guy that, um, that I have uh, respect for in a lot of ways, um, that I had sort of a contentious relationship with in his last couple of years of his life, um, antiwar.org, co-founder Justin Raimondo uh, passed I think it's away.
1: Anti-war. Is it anti-war.com: Oh, maybe it's, com- com- I'm not sure.
0: It could be antiwar.com. But yeah, Justin Raimondo uh, had a long fight with cancer, and he finally passed away, um, I believe, this morning, as the time I'm recording this. So, you know, he left a long legacy behind him. I would just mostly ignore the last two years of his work. Um, he became very pro-Trump, uh, but a lot of the stuff he did before that was was relatively solid. You know, came from a more nationalistic direction than sort of my anti-war point of view. But, you know, he still did. He still covered a lot of important ground. I'll miss him for that. So it was sad to hear that. Let's give some positive news. Um, uh, we have some other headlines here, but we're going to skip them just because they're not, you know, the most important stuff going on. And we've been talking about a lot of negative stuff and sad stuff. Um, but in some positive news, uh, Oakland City Council, about two weeks ago, voted to decriminalize several psychedelic plants, including some Schedule One which is like the highest level of illegality on the DEA's uh, list, uh, um, they basically voted to decriminalize several of these Schedule I plants, including psilocybin-containing mushrooms, uh, iboga, uh, which is, has ibogaine in it, uh, DMT-containing plants for ayahuasca preparations, and mescaline-containing plants, which includes peyote, um, which I believe is still Schedule One in the United States. So... This is actually like really big deal that city councils and state jurisdictions around the country are doing this. Um, I believe it was actually just passed in Colorado too, a decriminalization of psilocybin mushrooms. Uh, So this is really positive um, for, you know, just the decriminalization of drugs in general um, that this is happening. So don't expect them to decriminalize synthetic hallucinogens anytime soon. Because that's a, mm-hmm. I think that's a whole other thing for people to wrap their minds around that pills and powders, as some hippies say, are like just all bridge too far for people to like <laughs> accept to decriminalize. If you're just yeah. like, let's decriminalize like, liquid acid, you know, it'd be, <laughs> it would be hard to make that pitch in the same way. Because like, even though there's dozens of studies now conducted saying acid is just as effective in like curing depression as mushrooms are, it's still a bridge too far, I think. Maybe give it like 10 years.
1: Well, what is the decriminalization of like people who have it, just like users, or? Good question. Do you know I think, what extent? Yeah,
0: I think that decriminalizing probably there is some possession decriminalization in there as well. But if you're distributing large quantities of it, you know, then they'll get like the, the um what is it like the ATF or the FBI involved. So it's like, doesn't matter at that point. Like, I think that that's even in Portugal. There's some weirdness with the decriminalization of drug laws there where it's still technically illegal to like distribute heroin, you know, to distribute marijuana. So it's weird. I'm not exactly sure how that's dealt with on a like enforcement level.
1: Right. Well, I mean, that's great that people aren't going to be going to prison for decades or potentially facing life in prison for just having like small quantities of. Well, yeah, I mean, this means the Oakland police
0: uh, cannot you know arrest you if you have mushrooms on you and you're not like high or driving on in the influence they can't arrest you for it. That's fucking Oh really? That's so it's huge. not just
1: so it's not just that it's decriminalized like to the same extent. It's that they actually can't do anything to you. Well, I didn't know that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that like that's what it's basically telling the police. Like it would be like if weed was decriminalized, you shouldn't be allowed to uh arrest somebody just based on weed. Like, that's wow. not probable cause enough. I mean, maybe I'm being too optimistic about how this actually will play out. But I mean, that's what it's supposed to do. They're not supposed to that's enforce. That's super crazy.
1: Yeah. I'm still wrapping my mind around just the fact that there's cannabis clubs everywhere that you can just walk in and buy weed like you're at an Apple store. So this is, this is super positive. It's a great development. And hopefully, it encourages other municipalities to take the same initiative. Because I think they, they will. again, like people will not stop using hallucinogens.
0: So I guess should we talk about the the sort of rope-a-dope experiment Trump is doing with raising the stakes on the Iran war to the highest levels they've ever
1: been? Yeah. Aren't you happy that he called off the strike because he wanted to save 150 lives?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, our our president, who said he wanted to kill terrorists and their families and bring back worse than waterboarding... He has a compassionate side where he realized that those 150 Iranians that didn't hurt any American deserved to live that night. And he felt that compassion kick in. That same compassion, I guess, that didn't kick in when he killed Anwar al-Awlaki's niece uh, in a drone strike. Her, his eight-year-old niece, I think it was, um, in Yemen. I mean, it's wonderful um, that he is
1: still holding that line of being an anti-interventionist because right despite sanctions killing thousands of iranians from preventing medicine from getting there
0: but i mean abby are we what are we saying now sanctions are war i mean that's ridiculous <laughs> it's really really interesting how this all played out because you know we've been covering potential war with iran since you know at least the obama administration you know we weren't doing this podcast during the bush administration but there were some moments during the Bush administration where it seemed like that was going to happen. There were some moments during the Obama administration where it seemed like even the Obama administration and Hillary were putting out some really inflammatory rhetoric about Iran that seemed like, wow, why are they going after Iran so hard now? And then there were also some other moments with the Obama administration where it seemed like the media was trying to goad Obama into war with Iran over like the incident involving those Navy um, personnel that were captured by the Revolutionary Guard on that boat and held at gunpoint. That was like so intense for like a couple weeks in the media that it was like, why isn't Obama doing anything? Like, how could he embarrass us like this? This looks so bad for us. So the media was really upset. But at the same time, Obama, you know, apparently the CIA under his administration was working with the Mossad, working with MEK operatives to assassinate nuclear scientists in Iran during Obama's administration and also implant the Stuxnet virus into their nuclear centrifuging process for the nuclear power plants, because they don't actually have a nuclear weapons program. So all these things Obama did, but the de- nuclear deal that Obama struck seemed to actually tamp down that train and that Iran war track. It tamped it down. It seemed to put it on pause A lot of the D.C. establishment was like, "Okay, fine, we'll go along with this. To them, it promised that Iran wouldn't develop nuclear weapons. It had some guarantees in there. So it satisfied a wing of those people. But it also, you know, satisfied a lot of the people like us who don't want to see more escalations with Iran, which has been the neocon prize since 9-11. That's what happened when Obama left office. The nuclear deal was still in place. Of course, Trump tore it up. And then we've just been seeing escalations since Trump got in towards Iran, obvious pivots towards Iran, nonsensical ones, potential false flag situations. I don't even know what the hell's going on with some of those oil tankers. And then other, you know, more subtle pivots towards Iran where they're like putting pieces in place for some kind of future plan that they have. So it's been obvious that Trump is going to was going to inch this up. I just didn't realize it was going to get this hot, you know, this quickly. I guess, Abby, Trump saved us by telling the deep state no and pulling back the airstrike, uh, what was it, an hour before it was supposed to go take place?
1: So Yeah, I mean, this is a guy who campaigned on blowing Iranian ships out of the water. He campaigned on abolishing the nuclear deal. So he campaigned on basically aggression with Iran and warmongering with Iran He hired the most insane neoconservative criminals who have been vying for a war with Iran their entire careers. Um, John Bolton, Mike Pompeo, he has Rudy Giuliani at the helm. These are all like M.E.K. shills who think that Iran is the source of all terrorism in the world. I mean, it's just really, really ludicrous. Yeah, I mean, it's just a weird, weird kind of cabal to unite behind if you don't want a full-blown escalation with Iran, right? And it's really weird to just every other week like lobby these crazy-ass threats of annihilation, um, saying Iran made a mistake. I mean, just the maneuvering with the troops getting sent there at the behest of John Bolton saying just out of the blue that there's like unique threats coming from Iran. What are you talking about, dude? This is even before the oil tankers were attacked.
0: Absolutely. And, And since the Trump administration has gotten in, There's been something in the backdrop that sort of the neoliberal mainstream media wing of the DC blob can get on board with that feeds into this neocon narrative on Iran, which is this Iranian imperialism that they're Mm -hmm. creeping reach. They're trying to control these geopolitical affairs now in Syria, in Lebanon, in Iraq, that they're actually, you know, helping prop up Assad, that they're in bed with Russia, North Korea. So they're trying to make it appealing to like people who, these sort of like CIA socialist type people who like believe in Russian imperialism and believe in Iranian imperialism or Chinese imperialism and and think that that needs to be criticized equally to the United States or for some reason. Mm -hmm. So it, it feeds into that. And we've also been seeing all this sort of think tank activity. And now looking back on the Trump transition team, I was looking at it more like, who are the PNAC neocons and these like classic neocons who were in bed with Trump? And I wasn't looking at it like, who were you know, who are these, what, what's the think tank that most of these neocons were associated with? And now it's very obvious that the think tank they were mostly associated with is a think tank that was formed after 9-11 called the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, where these are the people who actually sat on the board of this think tank and some of them still do. Michael Ledeen, the co-writer of, uh, of Michael Flynn's book about how to defeat radical Islam. James Woolsey, former CIA director, was part of Trump's transition team. Then we also have uh, Sebastian Gorka, who is also inside the FDD. This think tank, writer for Breitbart, gets inside the Trump administration. And now we actually have uh, somebody working directly under John Bolton, who is from the, uh, the FDD. His name is Richard Goldberg. The website RightWeb, which is actually a really good resource on neocons and different right-wing figures, says, "...Goldberg's appointment to the NSC appeared to cement the Foundation for Defense of Democracies as the primary source for the Trump administration's Middle East policy, particularly its belligerent stance
1: towards Iran." They are just waiting. They're setting up all the chess pieces so to prompt Iran into finally attacking us. I mean, not only asphyxiating their economy with the sanctions, they're encircling Iran with these ships, and that's really who's going to be the patsies for whatever ends up happening. I mean, it's going to be the soldiers or the Navy people on these ships that are going to die um, to get these defense contractors' profits. So it's it's pretty disgusting to use all these people as pawns to not only the oil tankers, which I think that were false flags. I mean, even the Japanese owner of the tanker, the second round where the tankers were hit um, the second time, he even defied the official narrative and said that's not what happened and we do not have evidence to prove that is what happened. So you just have these U.S. officials throwing out this insane rhetoric that Iran is attacking these oil tankers. I mean, why would they be doing that?
0: Well, not just the rhetoric, too. They were trying to escalate it even more with like some weird grainy video and photographic evidence they claim proved like Houthis directed by Iran. I don't remember if they said it was Houthis or the Iranian Revolutionary Guard. I think maybe the Revolutionary Guard this time. And they tried to show these photos saying this is what happened. But the owner of the tanker wasn't convinced by it. And, you know, everyone was just most the smart politicians were just like calling for an investigation into it. So at that point, yeah, all
1: of this needs to be treated with a very high level of skepticism. Yes. Not only because it's the U.S. government, but it's specifically John Bolton who actually said on video that we need to lie. That like if we you lie, cheat, lie, and steal, the CIA yeah, we lie, cheat, and steal.
0: Yeah, I mean, of course, and, and we all know that they do. I mean, it's just funny, I guess, to hear one of them saying that. But when that Japanese tanker was attacked, and then they started throwing out all this evidence, the media started to turn to try to like convince people that this was legit by like almost it was, they use an interesting tactic where they tried to bypass Trump. Cause you know, the mainstream media like CNN and MSNBC has been telling their audience for like years that Trump is an untrustworthy pathological liar. So what they do in this scenario is they're like, you know, his intelligence agencies and the military are saying, this is what happened. That's who we need to trust they were bypassing and that inconvenience of like that Trump is untrustworthy and just making us try to trust the military leaders who are saying this happened. And, the, and I noticed they were even like arguing with people like Bernie Sanders when Bernie Sanders was like, no, like we need an investigation. We can't rush into this. The lady was like saying, well, but like, I know you don't believe Trump, but what about like the mili- the Pentagon is saying this would happen. And he's like, no, that was the way the media started to turn to support it. And then Abby, went full tilt um. After this supposed drone shootdown that happened, full tilt, 100%, 100% we got to go to war type of propaganda, like all across all media, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC. Do you want to go – should we start discussing like this – the most recent incident?
1: Yeah, well, what do you mean it went full tilt?
0: What I mean was no longer were there any like skeptical reports coming out. It was all just – This was in international airspace. Iran shot it down aggressively. We need to do something about it. Wow. I mean, that's what I mean by full tilt. Um, With a few exceptions, I think Tucker Carlson was one of them um, on Fox News. But almost everybody else was really egging this on. And I think it was Sam Husseini on Twitter who posted a screenshot of CNN saying... Be really careful when CNN starts using custom-made graphics to describe, like, an international incident. And it showed, like, drone shoot-down, a radioactive symbol, and, like, the Iranian flag, like, next to each other, and, like, next to, like, a drone.
1: <laughs> so what, what were they saying the drone was flying over Iran for? I mean, I know that oh, well, the Trump administration the thing. said this it was is... international airspace, but come on.
0: Oh, well, no, they're not disputing all the media is saying is Iran acted aggressively and shot down this drone that was in international airspace. They're not saying, they're not even trying to justify or explain why it was over there in the first place. Right. They're not saying like, oh yeah, like Iran was up to this and that. So they had to go monitor. There was no like story fed to them to explain that they were just like trying to, they were just acting like out of the gates. It was completely justifiable. But the but then the Iranian government and many people who have looked over the evidence that they've provided, have agreed with their version of events, which was actually flying in Iranian airspace, to provoke a response. Of course. So that's what it seems like happened. This is something that I don't know exactly who figures these things out, but it seems like this is a common tactic to bait the other side into like shooting something down. Right. And I would argue that sort of might maybe even what happened in the case of MH17. That whole incident was very strange that that plane was even flying in that airspace in the first place. This is an obvious provocation by the United States. But of course, you know, the establishment, even the people who are like, we shouldn't go to war with Iran, but Iran is the aggressor here and they've been the aggressive party this whole time. They've been escalating things. It's like that's the mainstream narrative even from the people who act like they don't want to go to war. So that's a completely inverted narrative from reality. We know that that's not the case. The Trump administration just tried to convince Congress a few weeks ago that Iran had something to do with 9-11. This was reported in the news. So they're really just trying all they can right now. But it's also admittedly a sloppy effort because why would Americans want to go launch a war with Iran based on an unmanned drone and two foreign oil tankers getting hit. That's just not enough. I don't even think it's enough to convince, like, Trump's own base that it's enough justifiable to launch a war. And also, we know it would happen if we launched an airstrike on them. And Trump knows, too. And even his military game theorists probably told him, if we launch this airstrike, they're going to shoot at one of our boys. At a ship, probably. Like, that's what they're going to do. So be prepared for a, return, a counter to that. This is all gamed out stuff. So in Trump's mind, he's probably like, I, I'm not prepared here to, like, launch a real war with a country that's going to actually fight back against a provocation. So I feel like that might have even been his thinking, that he was unprepared to go along with it because he wants to win the next election, too. So maybe when he gets more comfortable with the idea we'll actually see him escalate there. But I don't, this has nothing to do with compassion. It doesn't actually make sense that his advisors had to tell him at the last minute how many casualties there would be and that's how he decided not to do it. He knew all this stuff like days in
1: advance. Of course, and he's not stupid. He knows how devastating it would be to attack Iran. He thinks that just 150 lives would be taken? No, potentially millions. Um, I mean, because it would it would unleash like just complete mayhem in the Middle East. Um, It's it's disgusting that no one's asking, why, why are we doing this? Why are we provoking Iran to such an extent? Why would we even consider going to war? Whatever a targeted, limited strike is, that is going to war with someone. Sanctions are going to war with someone. So we've already been going to war with Iran for quite some time. But Why is no one asking, like, why are we doing that? Why are we instigating Iran? Why are we provoking Iran? Why was there an unmanned drone flying in Iranian airspace? Why would we even consider going to war or bombing a country over a fucking unmanned robot that was in their airspace illegally? Do you remember when Iran hacked that drone under Obama and then sent back, like, a little pink toy drone? No. Yeah. He had, they, they hacked a drone that was also in Iranian airspace under the Obama administration. And then there was all these videos circulating around Iran of the drone. And then so Obama wanted the drone to be, to be returned. And they sent him back like a little pink toy drone. And he said, I know that wow. pink is Obama's favorite color. Holy and shit, he said, we no. will send it back to him via the Swiss embassy. And it was just like a little toy. <laughs> it's very bizarre. I do not remember that at all. Yeah. So this is like, it's weird how much shit happened under Obama, but like it never came to this, you know?
0: Well, well, this is the difference between Obama and Trump is that Obama wasn't smart enough to have like a PR campaign to represent himself as being measured and compassionate when he, for example, backed down from the red line in Syria. He was really like, it seemed like he was kind of riding by the seat of his pants and really was like really nervous during that whole procedure. He did not seem comfortable. Like one of his strategic tactics during that whole incident was like, I'm going to last minute give this up for a vote to Congress. And people, everybody who was like, thought he was about to launch airstrikes, was just like, what? Of course, they're not going to vote for this. So like, it, it was like a design to fail. And, but, but Obama didn't set up a narrative to make it seem like the military industrial complex was goading him into war. And then he compassionately at the last minute decided to defy them. Trump is actually really savvy in the sense that I have never seen a president be able to play like the press in this way. Like the anti-war press, I even feel like got played by this and acted like tr- everything was Trump was saying was true. And there's
1: just something really fishy about it. Really, really fishy. Yeah, there's something really fishy about people saying like, oh, Trump decided to pull back, like bombs were almost flying in the air and Trump luckily realized the cost and pulled back. It's like, what are you talking about? Trump has done all of this. None of this happened in a vacuum. This has all been manifested and put into motion by Trump. You know, like, it's just so weird.
0: Well, it's like him coming into your home and then setting fire to all your stuff— And then, like right before your like your most valuable possessions are burnt, but like most of your other stuff is, he just puts the fire out. And He's being like, "Oh my god, I I saved your stuff. Like you should thank me for that." And you're just like, "But you just burnt my whole room down."
1: Yeah, you created the conditions for full blown war. Yeah,
0: and there's still gasoline all over my room that you're not going to clean up, and you're actually pouring more gasoline on as you're talking to me, pretending like you're being saving my stuff. But dude, you're like still acting like an arsonist. You're pouring gasoline all over my stuff still and me right now. Like what? Like, I mean, that's literally what he's doing. So it's hilarious that again, Trump's ability to have these like impactful, believable statements that are lies and carefully chosen words in some ways is still really impressive. I mean, he's played the conspiracy media. He's played the Mm anti-war media. And he's played the hawks and the neocons who were waiting with bated breath for him to do something. I mean, something got pulled back. I don't know how it was decided, but this was like going towards a potential warlike scenario, very hot within a 48 hour window. And then something changed. But I don't know what actually happened. That's the question. There's leaks coming out saying Tucker Carlson changed his mind. I don't know if this is a Trump good cop, bad cop thing. But something is, uh, there is a lie here for sure. Many lies here embedded in this version of events.
1: Well, what is Trump expecting? Like the total capitulation of Iran and Rouhani to come to the table and be like, please don't bomb us. Like, we'll do anything you want. Like, what exactly is the goal? Well, that's,
0: that's a good question. I mean, one of the scary things that could have happened was Iran admitted to not shooting down a U.S. plane that was like right near the drone. And there were suggestions from the Iranian state like press that this all seemed like a setup in order to not just get us to shoot down a drone, but to accidentally shoot down like a plane full of like US military people. And they didn't take the bait. And and I want people to look up the rope-dope analogy. It's a boxing term. You know, it's I, I hate using sports analogies, especially for sports I don't even watch. But I think that Trump is very good at this bizarre dynamic where he acts like he's taking off the mask. It's like almost like he's aware on some level that people think of him as this guy who talks straight, who takes off the mask good or bad. He wants people to believe that's what he's doing here. Even this interview he did like a couple weeks before this all happened saying that the military industrial complex wants me to go to war and I'm constantly having to like fight them off, tell them I don't want to go to war. I mean, that's not his exact words, but that's not believable, because he hired all these people, Hired right, new people. Exactly. I mean, why isn't anybody asking him? But you hired if who? Who do you mean the military? Is a con? but the companies that you're constantly promoting and handing money to, like way more than any previous administration. That's not. But it's you're just the about.
1: rhetoric. It's like he knows that the anti-interventionism is popular. He knows exactly. that the rhetoric is popular, and so he speaks out of both sides of his mouth to He's keep a con his man. base. To keep his base asleep and to keep promoting like, well, Trump said that he's fighting the military industrial complex, even though every single thing he does benefits them.
0: Every single thing he does benefits them. And even priming the pump for a potential war benefits them in the sense of giving them sort of like focus groups. It's Mm -hmm. like for defense companies, this is almost like focus grouping because the trigger wasn't pulled they can now get a sense of maybe the challenge it'll be for next time
1: mm-hmm, for them to mm-hmm. pull the
0: trigger. So that's kind of interesting is Trump gives them these little test runs. Trump does this kind of stuff a lot. These like trial balloons. So yep. that's been, that actually does benefit the defense contractors unless none of this is followed through on best case scenario that this is pulled back. Something happens where it de escalates from here on out. Best case scenario. If it keeps escalating, we will get into a military confrontation. Yeah, because
1: it's just a matter of time before, I mean, everything we're doing is warfare against them. So like exactly. what, I mean, they, they're going to have no choice but to respond at a certain point. So
0: the defense contractors and whoever the military industrial complex deep state players are and all this will learn from these experiences and know what they need to do next time to actually convince more people to go and create a tipping point for support. I think what it will require is deaths of American soldiers or a domestic attack of some kind here blamed on Iran. I think it'll take actual people dying, American soldiers or Americans on American soil at this point, to actually convince the public to go along with it. But again, they don't need to convince the public to go along with anything once it starts. Once it starts, then American soldiers will be dying as part of the war, and then they can use that as galvanizing propaganda to get Mm -hmm. people to support it. Because then we have to at that point. Like we have to support our side. Yeah, I mean, of so course. And then it's it doesn't, just, yeah. Yeah. So this idea that like people's lack of appetite for war will stop one from starting, I think is naive. I, I, but I do agree that people, generally speaking, do not have an appetite for more wars right now. Even though there were polls coming out recently saying that like 30% of the public wants to attack North Korea right now still. Wow. But I mean, I think a lot of people. A lot of people in this country do not want war.
1: That's why Trump's rhetoric was directed towards sectors of society who are fatigued by the Iraq war, the continuous war in Afghanistan, longer than Vietnam at this point. So, yeah, I mean, that's why you have people bringing this up. I mean... That's why Joe Biden was attacked at the debates for supporting the Iraq war. Like people don't want it. They don't like it. That's why we just externalize all these things. People aren't even aware that we have the global military that we have that we're provoking Iran every day. And when Trump is applauded for something like this, he's able to win all around. I mean, he wins with the defense contractors. he, He wins with the neocons. He wins with the media and he also wins with his base as well as anti-war leftists to a certain extent because rhetoric is really the only thing that seems to stick with this administration. He knows that he's not going to have pushback from the left or from an anti-war view. He never will. There's never going to be intelligent debate about war and about U.S. empire. So it's like he just he just like throws out like red meat now and again to just keep people confused
0: it's almost like this RussiaGate narrative serves that purpose too. It's like the reporters, even if some of them, like who work for CNN, wanted to have the opportunity to ask to question Trump on some of his foreign policy, their whole list of priorities of what they have to cover is like so even like more out of whack than it was even during the Bush administration. That it's now like if they talk to Trump, they would just like confront him about RussiaGate. So yeah, the Bush administration, when they were faced with reporters' questions there were often questions, even, you know, generic reporters would ask criticizing them about their foreign policy claims. You don't even see any of that under Trump at all, and you're not going to, because Russiagate just dominates so much of the space. And that seems like, in reporters' minds, I guess that's the way to get gotcha over Trump over foreign policy. So don't expect the media to combat any future Iran war propaganda coming forward. Do not expect this to be over anytime soon just because Trump claims he pulled things back at the last minute and had some kind of compassion kick in not wanting to kill 150 Iranians over an unmanned drone this rodeo is not over yet and if you think it's already over you're just naive you do not know how powerful these forces are that have been wanting to overthrow the Iranian government for decades Um, this is the neocon prize it
1: could happen in Trump's second term too
0: It could more likely happen in Trump's second term. That's what I'm
1: saying. Let's be honest here. Trump has a very
0: high likelihood of winning a second term. I I did appreciate Bernie's debate performance. I thought he said some really good things, but I just do not see Trump losing his second term still. I hate to be pessimistic, but yeah, he could get a lot more dangerous in his second term too.
1: The stakes are like much lower for him. Oh God, he has less to lose. He has nothing to lose. Yeah.
0: If you think Trump's already scary and you think the rhetoric is scary, I don't even want to put this image into your minds, this imaginary scenario, because it's so scary when I think about it. But I I guess I'm going to have to, because just just to really emphasize how dangerous this is, imagine Trump as a wartime president, like with a real full-scale war. Imagine how crazy the rhetoric is, how dangerous it is, how amped up it is against illegal immigrants, against legal immigrants, against... Any brown person, or even, and especially leftists and liberals, can you imagine how much more ramped up it'll get when a real war starts? That's a scary thing to think about. What he'll be like. I mean, that will be his Hitler moment. I hate to be hyperbolic and compare Trump to Hitler, but if a real war with Iran starts and U.S. troops, hundreds of thousands of them are sent to Iran, Trump will become the new Hitler. And that's really, really terrifying. So yeah. sorry to end on such a depressing note, but <laughs> that's not—I do not think that's actually that hyperbolic to say if that happens.
1: Yeah, I mean, look at Bush's polls before nine eleven and how the world changed just with us being attacked. I mean, I can't even fathom um, even just a, a an attack on just like a micro level of what nine eleven was, what we could be getting ourselves into with Trump's authoritarian nature already. So we have to push back against. All the war ramp up, all of the propaganda, we have to start mobilizing and creating an anti-war movement because that is the only thing that is going to pressure the government and the powers that be, you know, get involved, get involved to actually stop this.
0: Absolutely. And we also can't forget, um, and Low Blog has a really good article on this. It's just a simple headline that Trump has a $259 million reason to bomb Iran. Sheldon Adelson. He did not take very many big donors during his campaign and that actually left quite a big void for a for certain big donors to come in and really exploit that and donate a huge amount of money to him in a disproportionate way, including people like Paul Singer and Sheldon Adelson. Um, Sheldon Adelson in a 2011 taping in front of a live audience said we should nuke Iran to basically teach them a lesson. Send a nuke to an Iranian desert. And then call Tehran and be like, you're next.
1: Very, very cool. Yeah.
0: So that's who we're dealing with. This is not just Trump, even though I do place most of the blame on Trump. Um, This is not just John Bolton, even though I do place a lot of the blame on him. This is people like Sheldon Adelson. And then also, you know, all the other forces in D.C., these think tanks. Israel would really like this to happen, although they've been kind of silent kind of in the, in the background right now. So that's interesting, too. Sort of, they're waiting for to see what's going to happen, I think. But obviously, they're not just waiting. They're probably doing crazy shit in the background we have no idea about. Just be very worried that this is going to continue and be very cautious about it and do everything you can to speak out against it. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Media Roots Radio. If you'd like to support us, you can do so at Patreon slash Media Roots Radio
1: yeah check it out donate to us um we really appreciate your support support independent media and keep us alive